Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. This week, the twins will be discussing murders that occurred on hiking trails. In this episode, Jackie is going to tell Melissa about a senseless double murder that took place on the Appalachian Trail. Please be aware that this episode will discuss violence, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, creepy kitties. We are here today with another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy podcast. We hope you guys are all having an amazing summer or whatever the weather is like where you are. We hope that it's amazing. And today, we're going to be talking about some murders that have happened in national forests, trails, wilderness, in general? I think we'll... Let's just go with on a trail, because I don't know if they'll necessarily be in... Mine wasn't a national forest, but it certainly was on a trail. Okay, so we'll just call it on the trails. Murder on the trail. That's like... I I feel like that's kind of people's biggest fear, but at the same time, it's not, because the woods is so peaceful. But it's just that thought of, like, if someone would ever run up on you, it's such a scary thing to think about. I'm always thinking about animals. Ever since I yeah. saw the damn Revenant, I always am just thinking of a bear or a cougar or something wild. So honestly, I'm never even thinking of people that much when I'm hiking. But these stories will probably make me start thinking about that. Make you think twice. So I'm going to be talking about the Appalachian Trail. <gasps> Classic. Yep. If you're from America, you definitely know what the Appalachian Trail is. If you're not from America, um, the Appalachian Trail is over 2,000 miles, I believe. Uh, It spans through 14 states, including Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. So, and, like, the order I read those states is usually the order that people take the trail, you know, from down south, work their way up to Maine. She's long. It's long. And I actually didn't know that the Appalachian Trail was completed in 1937. I just thought it was going to be older than that, I guess. I thought so, too. Yeah, but, I mean, it is so long and through multiple states that I'm sure it took took a bit. A lot of people attempt to hike the AT. Not a lot of people finish. It's a, it's a trip. It is not for the lighthearted or the inexperienced. It's really, really hard on your body and just your mindset. I believe it takes about six months to complete Oh my, and I think that's if you're hiking straight through it. You know, a lot of people yeah. stop going to town and do things like that. So half a year of your life just hiking every single day, tasking. Even if you love it, that's just a lot. Yeah, like, it's full-on commitment. Like, don't mess around. You better be committed if you're hiking the AT. 
Do people hike it just little parts at a time? Like, I'm sure, are there people who will just hike it for a couple days, maybe from one state to another and get off? Or do people try and just hike the entire thing? Um, I think most people set out with the intention of hiking the whole thing. And I honestly think a lot of people find it really tough and don't. One of our friends that we grew up with, I'm obviously not going to say this person's name or this person's gender, but for anonymity's sake, just (laughs) finished the AT, hiking the entire AT. So if this person is listening, that is one hell of a feat. That's awesome. You go, kiddo. Non-binary. You go, kiddo, because that is amazing. (laughs) Could not even imagine, and I loved keeping up with this person's pictures. And I thought about them when I wrote this <laughs> did this story. Oh, not like that. Like, that was just my first thought was, and I know, I have, know someone else who I used to work with who hiked the trail, too, so. Now I'm nervous you're going to tell me about, like, a serial killer preying on people on the trail. No, it's not. It's okay. not a serial killer. Let's just get right into it. I'm going to be talking about Jeffrey Hood and Molly LaRue. And this story takes place in September 1990, the exact location of the tragic events in this case. Like, Danielle Kirstie on YouTube, I actually love that she says that every time. You know what I mean? She's like, in the tragic events of today's case. (laughs) I can literally hear her voice in my head. I know. I love when she'll be like, and seriously, what the hell? Oh my god, I love her so much. We love Danielle Kirstie. We love other YouTube or true crime people in this house. Oh yeah. We support everyone. I was just watching Bailey Sarian before this. The OG. Yeah, bring it back. Bring back Triple M. I know. No offense, but dark history isn't the same. That's a controversial opinion. (laughs) (laughs) That's controversial. Anyway, the tragic events of this case happened in Pennsylvania. In Duncanon or Duncanon? Anyway, it happened in Pennsylvania on a part of the trail. So let's just get started. Jeff, his name's Jeffrey. Every most people just call him Jeff. Jeff and Molly met in Kansas when they were both working for uh, a church-sponsored group that took at-risk kids into the country and, you know, took them out to do adventures in hopes that that kind of helps them with whatever they're going through. At the time of the story, Jeff was 26. Molly was a year younger. People describe Jeff as being very friendly. He was from Tennessee, and he was even-tempered and very patient. Molly was very just energetic and a great personality. I feel like one of those people that can make, like, anyone smile type. She was an artist, and in high school, she actually won a national contest to design a 1984 U.S. postage stamp. Okay, Molly. That's pretty official. Wow, that's actually really cool. I know. I wish I could I could have seen what it looked like. They had a lot in common. They really, really loved the outdoors, and they really loved working with kids and just helping kids. Jeff had done a good amount of rock climbing in Colorado, and he taught climbing at a ranch in New Mexico. Molly was also very experienced in the outdoors, and she spent a year providing wilderness therapy to kids in Arizona. So, you know, they have, like, two things that they both love in common, and they met when they were working together. 
But sadly, they decided to hike the AT because they had been laid off. So <laughs> he said, sadly, they decided to hike the AT. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I guess I should have re- put that sadly uh, in a different <laughs> part of the sentence. But they hiked the AT because they lost their jobs, which is sad. Because they got, I mean, I don't know why. I think just a general layoff, maybe. Oh, that's sad. And their job was, like, so helpful to others. Yeah. But they decided to just take the next six months to hike the trail. And Molly did have some savings that she took out so that she could pay for their expenses. And... She called her dad, Jim, and I'm going to link, obviously, one of the articles, but if you like this story, really, really read this article. It's written by a man named Earl, who actually is one of the people in this story, so he had a lot of firsthand knowledge, a lot of details. The story had a lot of details about all the people in the case, so if you want more info, definitely read it. It was really good. Oh, shit. You said he's involved in this? The guy who wrote it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like, he was, he knew them, and he was also hiking the AT at the time. Oh. And so, he obviously talked to Molly's family and stuff for the article, so. People, her friends and family, like, contributed to this article. It was really, really good, so go read it. But Jim remembers that Molly called and said that she was going to hike the AT, and that she was going to have a friend hike with her, And that the friend was a male. And, you know, her dad's like, so are you in a relationship? And she was like, yes, I am. Announcing her little relationship to Jeff. But people said Molly and Jeff were basically inseparable. They really, really loved each other. I'm not sure exactly when they met, you know, compared to when they're hiking the AT. But people said that they were completely in love, and they both deeply, deeply loved each other. I assume they weren't together that long, though, if she was just telling her dad she was in a relationship. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, and that she was going to hike the AT, so... Gotcha. But, I mean, they also have to have a certain level of love and trust to dedicate six months of just you and them on the AT. Well, when you first meet someone, you think you'll, you can spend six months with them every single day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bonnie Moon State. <laughs> they set out on June 4th, 1990, and they started in Maine. So I think other people kind of do the opposite. I'm not exactly sure why they started in Maine, but regardless, they started their trip, and like a lot of other hikers, they found it to be very, very difficult uh, very exhausting. They shared a journal, which people, I think, got, and so they're able to see, like, what they wrote, and a lot of the shelters on the AT have logbooks. Like, this was obviously before cell phones, so that was a way of people, people were able to see who else was hiking the trail and their progress, and, like, that was, like, your cell phone were these logbooks. I think they still have logbooks to track where yeah, people are. Yeah, I'm sure they probably do. I think it's cool, though, all the the culture of hiking the AT. And another thing, speaking of that, is that most hikers have, like, a trail name when they're hiking the AT. So Molly's was Nalgene, and Jeff's was Clevis. These aren't, like, these, a lot of people's are just something cute and, like, 
a random word. Like, someone else in the story's name was muskrat. Someone else's name was animal. So oh. it's just, like, something, whatever you want it to be, you know? What's your trail name? Mm, I was going to say kitten, but I don't know. I was thinking bunny. <gasps> kitten and bunny. Hop oh. on the trail. <laughs> oh, That would be cute. Drop your trail names in the comments. Yeah, literally. <laughs> What's your guys' trail name? So, a lot of people could kind of get to know Molly and Jeff on the trail just from what they left in the logbooks. A lot of people really noticed them because Molly left a lot of just cute notes. Like, she would leave little poems about how they were doing, and a lot of people were having a lot of difficulty in the trail because it's a pain. It is. It's tough. But if what I can see is that all of these people were definitely cheerful and it made a lot of people just like brighten their day a little bit to read a cute little note in the logbook. Aw, she's so cute. Yeah, she is cute. And that's actually how Earl, the author of the main article that I got my info from, that was how he found out who Jeff and Molly were was from the logbook and just reading what they had left. Uh, they did write in the logbook that if you're behind us, you will pass us. They <laughs> hiked very, very slow. And it's not, obviously, they weren't inexperienced. They just really liked to take their time. They would pull over and, you know, take pictures of stuff. They would just have a good time. They weren't in a rush. They weren't, you know chasing people. (laughs) 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 They're having a good old time. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, And eventually, Earl, the author of the article, did catch up to them. It was Friday, July 20th, when they met at a shelter in New Hampshire. When he met them, Earl actually told them that he felt like they had already met because he had, like, kept up so much with their, what they wrote. He remembered that Molly was blonde and smiled a lot, and she was obviously very fit. She had a good spirit, and she was funny. Jeff had a beard. He was thin. He had a Tennessee accent, and he noticed that Jeff had a really good backpack. It was a Mammoth Green Gregory brand, and I think at the time, that was, like, the hiker's backpack. So, that was, like, memorable, that, you know. He remembered his good backpack, and he knew that he must be a serious hiker if he was going to have that backpack. Mm, okay. I think there might have also been one or two other people with them, but a, basically a small group of hikers stayed the night at that shelter. Morning came, and they all got to know each other a little bit. Molly and Jeff left the camp first, but the others caught up with them because they're <laughs> slow hikers. <laughs> And they eventually went to another little um, shelter. Jeff hitchhiked to a store and got beer, and they all sat around and had a couple beers, cooked some food in this little shelter, hung out for a bit, and the next morning they were... Well, actually, the next morning they went out to get breakfast. And where they stopped, listen to this deal, you could get six pancakes, four pieces of sausage, coffee, and juice for five bucks. It was like a hiker's special. That's a lot of pancakes. Yeah. But they all get their hiker special, and they're all back on the trail. And the author, and well, he was like kind of hiking with this other guy named Greg. They weren't hiking together, but they met on the trail. And them two went off on their separate ways, and then Molly and Greg went on their separate ways. 
I love this little hiking community. It's cute. I know. Isn't it cute? And just to give you guys some idea, Earl said that he was hiking close to 16 miles a day. Damn, Earl. Yeah. So, Earl was kind of in his own little group. Yeah, he met people named Muskrat and Animal who were hiking ahead of him. And he was trying to catch up with them. And he could, you know, tell where they're going from their log notes. Meanwhile, Jeff and Molly are still kind of going slow, doing their old thing. Some miles into Pennsylvania, near the Susquehanna River, is a small little town called Duchanan. A lot of hikers pass by just because it's one of the towns... And near it is Cove Mountain, which has Thelma Marks Shelter. So, Earl was making his way to the Thelma Marks Shelter. And when he got there, he met another guy, uh, someone hiking the trail. His name was Granola. That was his trail <laughs> name. He was 18 years old and was a big Grateful Dead fan. And so, Earl and him kind of like... We're buddy-buddy at this point. And they realized from the logbook that this is pretty cute, that there was, like, a big AT chase at this point. There were three people coming from the south, a couple and a friend who they had with them. Well, not a friend, you know, just another hiker. They were trying to catch Jeff and Molly. Jeff and Molly were trying to catch Muskrat, who was behind Earl. And Earl's trying to catch up with Greg. So it's like they're all, like, trying to catch each other on the trail. It's oh pretty gosh. cute. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of cute. But tragedy was also on their heels on the trail. Oh, hell. This went from being, like, a cute little summer story, kind of dazed and confused meets Appalachian Trail, to now I'm concerned. Isn't that how all stories go? No. On sub- <laughs> Some just start and end with tragedy. <laughs> oh. On September 5th, 1990, a 38-year-old man left his cabin in South Carolina, caught a ride to the nearest Greyhound, and took a bus and got a one-way ticket north. He was a short, stocky man. People that he worked with said he was smart and hardworking, but he also had lengthy, unexplained absences. He left behind just a little shack with garbage and empty beer cans. And a day later, he was in Virginia, off the bus. From there, he hitchhiked to West Virginia, then to Maryland, then to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And six days later, he was in East Berlin, Pennsylvania, when he went into a library and asked for maps and hiking, like hiking maps, you know, hiking directions, stuff like that. The librarian suggested that he try the York Library and wrote down directions and asked him to sign the library guest book, and he signed the name Casey Horn. Mm. But that was not his name. His name was really Paul Cruz, and he was actually the suspect in a murder. Oh? Four years before, in 1986, he offered, or a woman had offered him a ride home from a bar in Florida. This woman was later found naked and nearly decapitated on a railroad bed. Oh my god. Not long after that, Cruz turned up to his older brother's house in North Carolina driving the woman's bloodied car. 
Law enforcement was obviously closing in, so his brother gave him a ride, and Cruz just kind of took off. The police did find his car, well, not his car, the woman's car, that had a knife in Cruz's bloody clothes, but they couldn't find him. He also had a troubled past. He had a really rough childhood and a rough upbringing. He was in the military, but he attempted suicide and kind of went a little crazy, so sadly he was discharged. And after that, he bounced around a little bit. But when he was, like, going to be charged with that, he basically went on the run. And he made his way up to the Appalachian Trail. No. At the time of the story, the Appalachian Trail did have, you know, it's not perfect, it's a trail. And there were some parts of it that the caretakers and the trail people were working on, like just making it easier to walk on and stuff like that. So I believe it was September 11th or the 12th, but I believe it's September 11th, 1990 to be exact. But the trail had an employee named Karen Lutz who was surveying one of the properties when she noticed a bearded guy walking up the road. She thought that he was just a hitchhiker because the Pennsylvania Turnpike was close by, but he didn't look like a hiker because he had on a flannel jeans, combat boots, a small backpack, two red gym bags, and he just looked, like, sad, like, not a hiker. Like, he, like, looked down and didn't look like the hiker she normally saw. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, she was driving in the other direction, and she saw him again, And so she was like, okay, he is hiking because he was, like, at a spot where the AT veered from the road into, like, more trail area. And so she thought if he hustled, he might make it to the shelter. It's called the Darlington Shelter, which was three miles away. She remembers, though, as she drove away, she had a horrible feeling and remembered that she sensed an evil aura coming from him. Oh my god. Literally in that moment she like took notice of everything about him cuz she just felt like he was evil. And it's Paul, the Yeah. It's this guy who is suspected of murder charges from South Carolina. Oh my god, she's like part psychic. I know. Always trust your gut, people. Yeah. That same day, Jeff and Molly had broken away from their little camp near the Susquehanna River. They were pretty excited because they were at a point where they were going to start seeing family soon and they were going to have their family, you know, like meet them at some places and stuff like that. They walked into town to the Doyle Hotel and Jeff called his mom, Glenda, and they were just talking about the next time they were going to see each other, all that stuff. And Jeff said, we have something to tell you when we're all together. And so his family thought that they were going to announce their engagement. I'm getting sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. I just like whimpered because what could be more tragic than you know that these are going to be the very sad yeah, I mean, victims of this case and they're telling their family they have something happy to announce. Like, it is. It is. Uh, it's a sad one. So that night at Doyle's, they wrote in the registry book, you know, as they normally do. They had dinner. The next morning, it was September 12th, they met Molly's great aunt and two other relatives in the town square and got lunch at a nearby truck stop. And then they picked up the mail. 
they got some groceries and around 3:45 p.m they got back onto the trail and we're gonna go up to cove mountain where there's that little shelter so they presumably get up to the thelma marks shelter around 5 p.m because they think you know that's what time it would have taken them a little over an hour to get up there and sunset was at 7.22. At the same time, the three people coming from the south who were chasing Jeff and Molly, it's the next day, and they go into Duncanon. The one guy, he was obviously not the couple, his nickname was Flatfeet, he decided that he was going to kind of go like his own way. And so... He went to the Darlington shelter where he found it was littered with trash and there were an empty red gym bag, a discarded bus ticket, and a library note with the name Casey Horn. The, I wonder who that could be. I know, right? The couple, their name is Biff and Cindy Bowen. They were in town at this point and they were just having a little day. And wait, this was the couple that was chasing Molly? Yeah, so it was like the three of them coming from the south, uh, Flat Feet, and then the Bowens, and when they get to this part where, like, Jeff and, this little town where Jeff and Molly are, they kind of go their separate ways, and Flat Feet goes to a shelter called Darlington, while Biff and Cindy Bowen go into the town, and then they're gonna go up to the mountain where the Thelma Marks shelter is. Gotcha. So when they're in town, they get pizza, eat, all that stuff. When it's close to 5 p.m., they decide that, you know, it's time to get on the trail. Cindy was an elementary school teacher and Jeff a jeweler, and they could tell that they were close to Jeff and Molly from the logbooks, and they wanted to celebrate Biff's upcoming birthday at the Thelma Marks, and they thought it'd be cute that they could be with another couple and just be with, like, some other people. So they're reading the log entries, keeping up with their journey, and they're getting excited because they think they're going to meet these people who they've been keeping up with for so long. Right. But as they approach the Thelma Marks, it's dead quiet, and an hour later, they were calling the state police. Oh, no. What they had found was awful. When the police came, they found that Molly had been raped stabbed and tied up and her her death was probably 15 minutes after she had been stabbed in the neck jeff had been shot three times with the revolver and most likely died five to eight minutes after receiving the fatal shot which was in the lower left chest police believe that jeff and molly most likely died between five and seven in the morning but little else is known about what actually happened and that is what caused their death. That's crazy that they were both stabbed and shot, too, and tied up. Like, Jeff wasn't, just Molly was. Oh. So, at this point, when detectives are notified, it's nighttime. And they're going up in the trail at night. It's pitch black. They have to use flashlights to hike basically up the mountain to get there. When they get there, they find that Jeff was lying in the back corner and his head was on a makeshift pillow. And they said it just looked like at first he was asleep. But on the other side of the room, they saw that Molly was lying face down in a pool of blood. 
It took them four hours to get all-terrain vehicles up the mountainside, and I'm sure it was, like, into the nighttime at this point. But they obviously had to get the bodies and evidence and all that stuff. And the investigation was very rapid after this, just because the AT stretches so many states, and this part of Pennsylvania is right near big media hubs like New Jersey and New York and Baltimore, you know, right near the DMV. So, like... This investigation got underway very quickly. Like, it was quick. Well, that's good at least, too, because you don't want the person escaping going back down the trail. They could already be walking days ahead by now. Yeah, and people were very shook. People who were on the trail were very shook. Karen Lutz, who saw the weird guy, did tell police that she saw that weird guy, and she felt, like, freaked out. And then they found the one bag at Thelma Marks and the other red bag at Darlington. And Flatfeet gave them the note that had the name on it from the library, and they were able to talk to the librarian. So it's coming together pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the day of, well, the next day after the murders, Jeff's mom, Glenda, was at her home in Tennessee when she put on the radio and heard a news report that two hikers had been killed near Duncanon, and that was just where Jeff had called her three days before. She called Jim, Molly's mom, who lived in Ohio, and told him what she'd heard on the radio, and Jim just burst into tears and said that he was sure it was them and that he just knew it was Molly. Wait, Molly's dad? Yeah. So Molly's mom. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeff's mom called Molly's dad. That's so sad. It is. It's very sad. And it, I, it was it was really rough for the families. They arranged memorial services for both Jeff and Molly in their home states. Jeff was laid to rest near his home in Tennessee in a plot overlooking the mountain. Molly was taken to Cleveland, which she lived around there, and her family was able to see her one last time. They actually said it was a really like kind of healing peaceful experience to be able to just see her body it's really because they hadn't seen her in months i was gonna say that's what's really sad too is like you didn't get to see that person very recently it's also sad too and this isn't obviously they are going to be buried at home but it's kind of sad that they met and died together but then are buried like so far apart so separate from one another yeah that part that's a little sad but, um, I will say, don't get too, there, obviously the story's sad, there's no way around the sadness, but there's some happy bits at the end, so. But anyway, the author of the article, Earl, noted, and I think this is a really good point, that Jeff and Molly were really savvy in the woods. They were traveling as a couple, which a lot of people deemed safe at the time, because there were people going solo, but a lot of people were like, you know, they're safe because they're a couple and Jeff and Molly themselves knew about what type of crime happens on the AT like they studied the stuff so it wasn't like anybody wasn't knowledgeable of all the risks at the AT it's just like who would have ever thought this would happen right and Earl did meet up with some of the hikers when he continued his hike and he said that every hiker that was all anyone could ever talk about Hmm. however After it happened, Cruz did bounce around, and he tried to get out of town, and he did do that. However, 
he was walking a bridge across the Potomac River, and a hiker had actually noticed Jeff's backpack that he was wearing. (gasps) And so, did the police make that public, that the backpack was gone? I think so. And it's actually, hikers said that, multiple hikers met Paul afterwards, after he killed them. And it's so creepy. He just, like, adopted Jeff and Molly's story and said that he had been hiking from Maine and talked about the people he met and just talked about who Molly and Jeff had met. So it's so creepy thinking he went through their things. He obviously read the diary and the log books when they said where they had went, and he just adopted that story and told other people that. But... He's dumb because like, the, did he the hiker get... used that, the, they used this information against him to find him, so. And you have a bunch of people on the trail. There was a murder, so everyone is going to be talking about it and talking about the people who were sadly just killed. Like, how stupid can you be? Literally. So he was picked up by police and arrested, and police said he really gave them, like, no information. So the trial was actually... Without, like, any evidence from the defense, and I don't even know if they had much of a defense, except that they did say that Paul, at the time, was on cocaine. He did cocaine often, and that day he had drank, like, a whole thing of Jim Beam. So, you know, he was, like, unhinged. (laughs) Sorry, it's not funny, but just the way you said that. Yeah, like, he was, that's just the reason. And that's, like, what prosecutors, I think a lot of people struggle with, is the motive Molly's dad thinks as sad as it is, he just came up and realized, like, there's a pretty blonde girl there and decided that he was going to do what he wanted to do with her and killed them both. Other people just think, I mean, he already had a gun and a knife, so he was just looking for somebody. Do they know how he managed to take advantage of two people? Like, I'm pretty sure because Jeff was shot and Molly was only stabbed and it looked like Jeff was sleeping and they were killed in the morning. I'm assuming that they fell asleep. He probably shot Jeff and then attacked Molly. She probably fought for her life and he tied her up and did what sick, disgusting people do. That's so foul. The evidence was uh, daunting. There were witnesses who saw his two backpacks there with the Marlboro logo on it that Karen Lutz had seen him carrying before the crimes. He was wearing multiple items that belonged to them and had their hiking gear. He had articles that they had in their belonging. A ballistics expert testified that the handgun he possessed was the one that killed Jeff. His blood was found on the knife and Molly's blood was found on the knife. Oh my god. And his DNA was collected from semen samples that was found in Molly. So there was evidence on evidence. Damn. And obviously the jury found him guilty of first degree murder. It is really crazy. Like, you were literally just planning to go hike the trail. How did this happen? But you know what? I'm not going to be fully convinced that he was just planning to go hike the trail and just be innocent because you have a gun and a knife with you. Exactly. That's what I think. Like, Like and you're running from a murder. The knife, okay, I get that, because hunting knives and shit. Why the gun? Even if it's for protection, it's just, I don't know. It seems a little sus if you've already killed someone. 
And they were killed in the in the morning. You like how you said he had to have just snuck up on them. So it is scary thinking that people can be truly so unhinged that they don't even plan murders. They just see it and they do it because they have the means. Yeah. I think he might have gotten the death penalty, but obviously Pennsylvania has a moratorium on the death penalty, so I don't think that would have happened. But regardless, he's obviously still in jail. But after that happened, we'll try to end on a much light note as we can. Jeff's mom, Glenda, actually became really good friends with Connie, Molly's mom. They both kind of worked with, like, hospice type things, so they talked often, actually, and yeah, they just became really good friends. And throughout the year, they stayed really close friends. And it's so sad, but eventually, Molly's mom got sick and ended up passing away in the hospice center that she worked at. But she said that one of the days before she passed, she had a dream that she's, Molly was there waiting for her. Stop. Oh, I'm going to, okay. Fanning, fanning my eyes. <laughs> Fan away the tears. And Connie was like basically with her on her deathbed. I mean, Glenda, sorry. Glenda was basically with Connie on her deathbed. So they remain really, really good friends, which is very sweet. Um... Jim has tried to move on to he. Oh my Whoa. god! Oh crap! Jim has obviously tried to move on to, and he really tries to stay positive and peaceful about the situation because he just really believes in his heart that that's what Molly would want, and he just really feels Molly's presence very strongly. Like he just really feels like he needs to keep living, or it's not honoring Molly, but. Mm-hmm. He actually, he did move on after Connie passed away. He met a woman who actually had lost her husband and yeah. That's the sweetest like when two people who I know. have been in those situations meet and stuff and just like he, everything is so tragic. He deserves to be happy like however that entails. So I, I'm glad that he's healing and being able to move on. Me too. And Jeff's sister in 1992, her name is Marla, she actually set out to finish the trail for the couple. Oh my god, this is ending so positive. I'm seriously, like, upset. (laughs) I'm sorry. However, she she couldn't finish it because she got a really, really bad blister, which I think infected. Which just, I'm sure, shows you guys how crazy the trail is. But a lot of the people who hiked the trail at the same time and met Molly joined her and did it with her. That's so sweet. It's so cute that, like, like, this story is so senseless. It's so messed up. But the fact that this community all loved Molly and Jeff... All these hikers that barely knew them. Yeah, it's sweet that they're still carrying on their legacy, that someone they met for probably just a couple of days could still impact their lives forever. Yeah, really. And uh, Jim, Molly's dad, has wished Paul peace and has come to terms with... And he's just at peace with the situation. I'm sure it's never gonna be easy and it's always gonna be really hard but it is very it's nice knowing that you're right that all these hangers and stuff 
still came together and still kind of kept in touch after this happened, even if it was because of something so tragic that occurred. And there's so many more details to this case, like not the actual crime bit, but there's so much more about the people involved in the article. It's just such a good article. I honestly didn't want to give it all away. Like, I'm just like, give this guy his good story and I want all of you guys to go click on it, especially since he was literally there. And that's crazy. Like, I couldn't imagine to, for the others involved on the trail, you would always be thinking, what if that was me? Like, what if I was on the trail? What I'm so if glad you said that. I came I across for- this person. I literally stuff. forgot to mention that the couple, that was something they mentioned to Earl, was like, literally, if we would have been there the night before, that would have been us. Yeah. That's sad, too, because, like, you would have really survivor's guilt. I'm sure they also think, what if it had been the four of us? Would this not have happened? Karen Lutz, who saw him, has a lot of survivor's guilt. She just felt like she knew he was evil when she saw him, and she wishes that she could have stopped him. But, I mean, at that point, he didn't. He hadn't done anything. So, it's like, everyone thinks, what could I have done in retrospect? But, obviously, some things just don't work out that way. Yeah, and I think it just goes to prove, too, just, like, how much the... I mean, obviously, that's the whole point of this podcast, but just how much someone's actions can affect other people. Like, Karen didn't even meet any of these people, but she Mm -hmm. would still have survivor's guilt from seeing him and sensing that, like... All of this is just crazy that he did this for no reason. Yeah, and the prosecutor actually, like, tears up when he thinks about the case just because it was, like, so senseless from two people who were young and gave a lot back to the community. So, that much is, it's a really, really sad story. It has positive aspects in the way people can come together in their times of grief, but it's also, it's really heartbreaking. And I think it's one of those things that just how we were talking about In the last cases with people going missing on trails, I think it just obviously proves that no matter your level of skill when you're doing anything, Mm -hmm. be careful. Just, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing in this case they could have done. Yeah, there's nothing. I really don't think there was anything they could have done. It's just, it's really, really tough that somebody who probably needed a lot of mental health help put them in that scenario and took two really amazing lives. Yeah, right. Dang, I didn't know that all of this happened on the Appalachian Trail. I have heard that there was some sketchy stuff there, but I never knew that, like, literally a hiker on the trail murdered two other hikers on the trail for no reason. And that's kind of why I think, like, even though this was in 1990, we should still remember them as two really terrific, amazing people. Remember what they did and they gave back for the community, because that's, like, really what should be remembered about them. Facts. And that's that. (laughs) Damn. Let us know what you guys thought about that. That was really tragic. Let us know if you guys also, too, have ever hiked trails for days at a time. Let us know if you've ever had anything sketchy or weird happen to you. If you do hike trails pretty often at a time, I would love to hear if anything um, crazy or wild has ever happened to any of you guys while hiking. Yes, definitely let us know. We would love to hear it. Obviously, we hope you guys are all being safe. As always, please be safe above anything else. We love you guys, and we will see you guys next time on another episode. Thank you for listening to you. That's Creepy. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at 
ew, that's creepypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.